Yeah, it was. <clears throat> Thank you. I could just watch him all day long. That was, uh, I love being a part of missions, and stay tuned for next summer. Uh, one thing I want to mention, too, is many of us have been watching the news, the, the horrific news coming out of Maui, the island of Maui in the state of Hawaii. And uh, this week, watch the chapel's social media. We'll be giving an opportunity for you to give if you would like to relief efforts there. We join with Samaritan's Purse, it is called. They're already on the ground there providing relief. And so stay tuned for more of that, all right? That's uh, through our social media, giving to the Maui Relief. Okay? Good. Well, we are in the Gospel of John. We've been there for the last 17 chapters, 17 weeks, one chapter at a time. The last five chapters, uh, it's been Jesus and his disciples in one location called the Upper Room. And it's there he's preparing them for his eventual death and then departure and also the promise that he'll return after, after which he sends the Holy Spirit or before, sends the Holy Spirit and then he comes again. So anyways, that's all in the, the previous five chapters. Now we come to drama-filled chapter 18. And in this chapter, we see Judas betray Jesus. Jesus is arrested. Peter denies Jesus three times, just as Jesus said he would. We'll come back to that in chapter 21. Also in chapter 18, Jesus enters into a journey through six different trials or hearings, half of them with Roman authorities, half of them with Jewish authorities. And one of the Roman authorities is this guy named Pontius Pilate. Maybe you know his name from a creed you said over and over in church growing up, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was a governor appointed by Rome over the province of Judea. What a terrible legacy he has. His name is only mentioned with the trial and death of Jesus. Even his wife told him it's not a good idea to get involved with this man. Even his conscience told him this isn't a good idea. But going against his conscience and going against his wife, which is never a good idea, Pontius Pilate chose not to do what was right, but to surrender him to death. And so we enter into chapter 18. It's a long chapter. Um, much of the chapter is a dialogue between Jesus and Pilate, which continues into chapter 19. What we're going to do this morning is look at just a slice of chapter 18 and then zero in on just three words in that part of chapter 18. See if you can spot those three words as we read this portion of chapter 18, which goes like this. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king? And Jesus responded, which is in the affirmative. Many translations say, yes. He says, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then, and then he went again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas 
was a revolutionary. And that brings us to the end of chapter 18. As I said, the dialogue continues. But what I want to do is focus on just three words. Did you spot what they were? His question, what is truth? Now, this is important. Truth is a dominant theme throughout the Gospel of John. And the question, what is truth, has, has, has drifted down through the ages right into this room. What is truth? And so we're going to zero in on this idea of truth this morning. Now, there are many, many trails we can take when it comes to the idea of truth. So I apologize in advance to you for not talking about the subject, the topic, the concern you may have regarding truth. What I would like to do is for us to address three questions. What has happened to truth? There has been a cultural shift over the last couple hundred years, and I want to do just a very high aerial view of what that shift entailed and how we got to where we are today, all right? Second question, what are we to think about truth? Here we are in this room. We're studying the Bible to a author. Do you want to know what the author of the Gospel of John, lowercase a, author, John has to say about truth? But we also want to know what uppercase a author has to say, God himself, speaking through John. And then the last question, what is truth? What is truth? What is the answer? How, how, is that, how is that question answered? Pilate asks it. How is it answered? It's answered in a way you may not expect. Here we go. First question. What has happened to truth? Now, actually, nothing has happened to truth. Truth just is. Truth is reality. Truth has always been. It always will be. Right? You exist. I exist. That's truth. Um, Water is liquid. Truth. One plus one equals two is still true. I used to have hair on my head. That's truth. <laughs> and we could just go on and on and on, right? Truth just is. It's, it's not a matter of a majority vote. It's not a matter of what you want it to be. It's not a matter of what makes you feel good. Um, it's not a matter of whatever. It, it, it just, truth just is. It just is. Now, let, let's talk about truth in a different vein, all right? Um, have, you, have you seen this phrase before? That may be true for you, but not true for me. My favorite ice cream is double chocolate almond. I, please remember that, right? <laughs> my favorite hobby is cycling, among my favorite movies, Gladiator, and some of the more noble ones, Nacho Libre and Dumb and Dumber, which may make you wonder, why am I sitting here listening to this guy? And you say, well, that may be true for me, that may be true for you, but not for me, which is fine because we're talking about preference now, right, and not what we call objective truth. Now, let's get a little bit more philosophical. Someone says, I believe there is a God. And someone else says, I don't believe there is a God. And one person says to the other, well, that may be true for you, but not true for me, which is fine if you're talking about flavor of ice cream. But wouldn't you agree the topic of God is of infinitely more 
importance. And yet we talk about the reality of God, the existence of God, as if we're talking about flavors of ice cream. And in reality, in this culture, the Western culture today, it seems that preference has superseded the pursuit of truth. That preference has superseded looking for the evidence that points to what is true. Now, how did we get there? What has happened to truth? Because it didn't always used to be that way. Sorry for the history lesson here, but I want to fill you in on how we got here. Up to a couple hundred years ago, it wasn't like that. There was a time when, for the most part in our Western culture, people generally believed in the existence of God, that the existence of God was presumed. And there was a general trust in the Bible that it was the expressed word of God. And then something happened in the mid-1700s, in the 18th century, mid-1700s, this thing called, it was, like a, it was like a philosophical tsunami that hit the Western culture called the Age of Enlightenment. Maybe you know it. I could go through some of the names of the, the philosophers that led the charge. And the Age of Enlightenment led to this thing called modernism. And what modernism is known for and what age of the, the Age of Enlightenment gave birth to was this, that we've got all kinds of problems in this world. We don't need God. Let's put God on the shelf. All these problems can be solved by human reason and by science and by industry. Yeah, that's what we believe. And that, took, that held for a while until, now tap into your history here, what happened in the mid-1800s? The Civil War, followed by the Spanish War, followed by the Spanish Flu, World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. And under the weight of all these things, modernism began to crumble and God with, is already on the shelf, but now people begin to realize maybe with human reason and science and industry, we can't solve life's problems. And so now modernism gives birth to a thing called postmodernism. And there are many, and this is the age we live in now, and, and, and there are many definitions for postmodernism. This is one. Postmodernism is a worldview that asserts that external absolute truth that is a truth that is true for all people in all places and at all times cannot be known through reason or science because truth is either non-existent or unknowable. What is postmodernism? Nobody really knows what is true. Nobody really knows what is right. God is on the shelf. Human reason can't solve it. Who? We must all be right. And the imperial virtue for today is whatever. Whatever. We all can be right. Either, either God, as the ground of all truth, exists or not. Now, I wish we had time. We don't. We need to get to our next question. I wish we had time to look at the evidence 
Pastor Joe Binkley is here. He, he really thinks in these realms. He should be giving this talk, not I. But he, he thinks in these realms, the evidence that, that points to the existence of God, that, ex- that points to the, to the existence of Christianity, that it's true. I wish we had time to look at all that evidence. I just want to show you this quote by C.S. Lewis, and then we'll move on. And it goes like this. Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if, if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's true or it's not. And in this room, when you come into this room, what we teach is that God is of infinite importance. And so is the message of Christ. Which brings us to our next question. That was a very quick overview of how we got to where we are. What are we to think about truth? Now, have you been in a conversation with somebody, maybe recently, where, where they, they keep saying the same word over and over, the same idea over and over, and you just what you want to expose it. I got it. I got it. I'll mow the lawn. I'll, I'll do this chore, whatever it is, you know, right? In the Gospel of John, he uses the word truth 25 times. Now listen to this. The Gospel of Matthew, he uses it once. In Luke and Mark, the Gospels, they use it each three times. In John's epistles, uh, his first letter, second letter, third letter, he uses the word truth or true 20 times. Incredible. What's the point John is trying to make to us about truth? Here it is. Ready? Truth and Jesus fit together. That's what we are to believe about truth. Now, we are in our 18th week of the Gospel of John. Let's take a trip down memory lane and look at the few ways, just a few ways, not every way, that that John puts Jesus and truth together. Do you remember this? Way back in chapter 1, first week, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, In the message uh, paraphrase of the New Testament, it says, "And and, and God took on human flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, and there it is, full of grace and truth. On my best day, I can be gracious. I can be kind and giving, and I can not expect anything in return, and I bet you are the same way. And on a really good day, I can be truthful, which is more than just not telling a falsehood. Telling the truth is standing for the truth and doing what is true and right, and I bet you're the same way. And like me, probably like you, maybe for a set of days in a row, we can link the two together and be gracious and truthful, right? And then it ends, <laughs> because we're human. But God takes on human flesh, and he is full of grace and truth. And look at Scripture. Jesus is nothing if he's not gracious, the way he treats the down-and-outers and the up-and-outers. And regarding truth, he is the, the perfect teacher. Over and over, we read that people were astonished at what he taught. And he was the perfect example. Scripture says that that there was no fault in him. And and because there was no fault in him, he could be the perfect mediator. Truth be told, not one of us in this room 
could make up the gap that exists between us and God. And Jesus came and died on the cross to make up that gap. And all we have to do is believe in him. That is how the gospel of John begins. Moving forward, we come to this. Chapter 8, eighth week. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't you love that phrase? For about four and a half years, I lived in Granville, Ohio, which is where Denison University is. At the entryway to Denison, there is inscribed on the, 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 their entryway, it's inscribed in the, in the concrete, in the brick, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Of course, they're referring to higher education. Jesus here is referring to himself. I was thinking of, of something that C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis was wondering, why do I want to be such a, a better person? Why do I feel such injustice in my heart, and why do I know I should be more just? And this is what C.S. Lewis says. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. And do you know, every one of us in this room, we are aware, aren't we, of the crookedness in our own hearts. And in some cases, it's bondage to sin. What do we do? How, 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 do, we, how do we move toward that straight line? Jesus says it. Come to me. I am the straight line. I am the truth. You come to me. And over time, as you remain true to my teachings, the truth will set you free. That's a process. But that's what Jesus promises as we come to him. Because he is the truth. God in the flesh. There's no other way. And then we move forward to John 14. John, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's the word again. Truth, putting Jesus and truth together. The other day I was in a home with someone who is experiencing their last days here on earth. We've all been in that situation. I want to ask you, what do you say? What do you say to somebody who's in that situation you believe your way, I'll believe my way. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. Is that what you say? I mean, what an empty hope that is, right? In this passage, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's, this is the sixth time he says, I am, which is Jesus claiming to be God. It's the title given to God in the Old Testament. I am, which means that God is not dependent on anyone. That his plans and purposes are not contingent on anybody. He is self-sustaining. Jesus says, I am. And as the I am, as God, as God, he is able, because he is reliable, he is trustworthy, truthful, he is able to provide the way to what we all long for. Not just life beyond the grave, Life starting right now. That's found in Jesus. John's putting truth and Jesus together. And then we come to this passage today. Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded in the affirmative. You say I'm a king. You're right. 
I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I am the truth. It wouldn't be very hard to walk out in the sidewalk downtown or watch TV and find people who claim to know the truth, whatever their truth is to them. And Jesus does not back down from Pilate. He's just hours from his death. He claims that he is a king, that he is God, and that he is the way to truth. The way to God is through him. Now, there are many other ways that John puts Jesus and truth together. But let's get back to the response of Pilate who says, what is truth? That brings us to our third and last question. What is truth? Now, now this is so interesting to me in, in the Gospel of John. Such a huge question. A question for the ages. Every time I read through that chapter, it just stops me. What is truth? And then the gospel just continues on. The question is just left dangling there. Jesus doesn't answer the question. I wish John had just parenthetically said something like, well, let me explain for a minute what truth is, right? But he doesn't do it. It seems like John has missed a golden opportunity to answer the question, what is truth? What are you thinking, John? Unless he had something else in mind. I love the answer, the comment of Leon Morris, who is a New Testament scholar. He says this, John records no answer in his words, but the whole of the following narrative of the death and resurrection of Jesus is John's answer in action. On the cross and at the empty tomb, we may learn from God what truth is. You know what a crescendo is? You know, like in a, in a music composition, how the music builds and builds and builds and builds, crescendo. And then the finale, the finale. And that's what John's been doing through his gospel. It's been a crescendo of Jesus and truth, Jesus and truth, Jesus and truth, Jesus and truth. And now truth pays a price, and truth prevails. Truth goes to the cross, and truth rises from the dead. After this service, i got to tell you, I would be willing to sit and listen to any of you talk, and I would believe much of what you say, but probably not all of it because you're human. But i got to tell you, honestly, I would listen to anything someone says who rises from the dead. <laughs> they have truth to share, Right? Of all that Jesus said, of all the Gospels present, of, of what the New Testament presents, of what the Bible presents, this is what I can tell you is truth, right? And what we talk about every weekend here in this room, the truth is God loves you. He loves his creation. He loves each one of us. And each one of us are born into this world with this, this, this bent against God. 
And because of that, the truth is we are separated from God. We don't have a relationship with God. The truth is God loves us so much that he came himself to make up the gap between us and himself. The truth is Jesus, God in the flesh, died on the cross. The truth is witnesses saw him resurrected. The truth is one day Jesus is going to come again for his own. The truth is, between this day and that day, you and me as followers of Jesus, we're going to blow it over and over and over. And yet we have an advocate with the Father who's willing to stand for us and say, that's mine. He's mine. She's mine. Forgiven. The truth is, between this day and that day, everybody has a choice. Do I believe or do not believe? Do I accept the gift that comes from God through Christ or not? We live in a sea of public opinion. Preference seems to rule the day. And, and, and many, many people will, will, will sound just like Pontius Pilate who may talk about the truth, who may wonder about the truth, who may ask about the truth, who may say lofty things about what they think is true. And maybe you're familiar with, with Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 1 as he builds a case against humanity and our need for salvation through Christ. Paul says we are masters. We are masters at suppressing the truth. We don't want to know the truth. And then he goes on to say in chapter 1, these simple words, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And what does that lie sound like? Whatever. Believe what you want. That may be true for you, but not true for me. Preference rules the day, not the pursuit of truth. I just want to close with, with some of John's very first words and some of his very last words. All the way back in chapter 1, again, in his gospel. He says, but, all, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That is an invitation. That is an invitation to anyone, to anyone, to the postmodern or anyone. And if you've never been sure that you are a child of God, it's as simple as that. I will believe in Jesus and start following him. Now, those are some of Jesus' very first words. Let me show you some of his very last words just before he writes the book of Revelation. He wrote three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. This is what he writes in 3 John. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. in a sea of public opinion, when it's not cool to believe in an exclusive claim of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet it's a very inclusive invitation for everybody. When it's not cool to believe that way, if you have trusted Christ, may you experience God's strength to keep 
pursuing the truth, to keep pursuing Jesus. And may we be people who are marked by grace and truth and people who actually invite others to look at the truth of Jesus also. Let's pray together.